Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews, the 13th chapter, beginning in the 4th verse. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in Christian circles, there's always this unspoken. A great unspoken that we just don't really want to talk about, or if we do talk about it, it's always in these hushed tones, a lot of innuendo, etc. and so forth. And that thing is sex. Why don't we talk about it all that much? Well, because it throws a monkey wrench into a lot of what we say and do. Here is from Genesis chapter 2. You've probably heard it. From verse 23 onward, Then the man, Adam, said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. This is baked into the cake of humanity. From the very beginning, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, what does our God say to mankind, to Adam and Eve, right after creating them? In verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. The very first thing that God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, that's the first thing in the entirety of what he says to them. Go make more of you. And I gave you all the natural equipment to do that. Go make more humans. Make babies. The fact of the matter is, marriage and sex were instituted before the church. So the church has a lot of difficulty dealing with this since it precedes the church. What do I mean by that? What can the church tell you to do or not do with your wife? I mean sexually. We understand from Ephesians 5 that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church, and wives are to submit to their husbands as the church is supposed to submit to Christ. But regarding the marriage bed, what are the instructions that the church is supposed to pass on from Holy Scripture? Just do it often. 
that's about it. Here is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in the first verse. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, do it often. That's about it. And maybe if you choose to have a mutual time of prayer or devotion to God, then you take a little break. That's it. That is literally the only guidance the church is permitted to give a man and his wife regarding the marriage bed. And obviously, I suppose if we're going to be a little crass, we would have to say it has to stay between the man and his wife. You don't invite a third party into the bedroom. You don't go seeking after strange flesh. That is adultery. Duh. So no threesomes for a man and his wife there to enjoy each other alone. Just the two of them. But that's just about it. You cannot, as a pastor or as a theologian or as a bishop, Tell them, here are the sex acts that you are allowed to do or not do with one another. We can't do that. That is going beyond the words of Holy Scripture. They may devote themselves to prayer and avoid uh, sexual relations there. Is it right for the church to force them to do so? No. Because they're told to do it often, it is not up to the church to determine how often? That is weird. Can the church say, ah, you may do this sex act, but you cannot do that sex act? No, the church does not have the authority to do that. A man and his wife in their intimacy, it is sacrosanct. It is prior to the church. So if a man and a wife enjoy their sexuality in a way that makes the church uncomfortable, the church really can't say anything about it, provided they are not engaged in something sinful like bringing a third party in or engaged in abusive, violent acts. If the church does try to impose certain limitations or quote-unquote guidances that are bound by canon law or something, then the church is saying, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. That is where we get into dangerous territory. For instance, the notion of onanism, taken from Genesis, is used by the Roman Catholic Church to say, it is just between a man and a woman. Okay, good. It's got to be in holy matrimony. All right, I understand that. And by the way, the only sex acts that you are permitted to engage in are those that are procreative. Wait, where does the Bible say that? Oh, well, you, uh, you know, God killed Onan because he spilled his seed. 
okay, that's a descriptive thing that says that Onan sinned, and we have a bit of precedent regarding kinsmen redeemers, but still no actual command of scripture tells me that I can't have non-procreative sexual relations with my wife. For that matter, such a situation as that, adherence to this procreative only, puts people in a situation where they are told, violate what St. Paul said. Do it often and don't stop unless you're doing mutually agreed upon devotion. What do I mean by that? Let's say a man's wife is pregnant. Does St. Paul say, unless your wife is pregnant, don't stop coming together? No. But there are times in which, if a woman is pregnant, copulation can endanger the pregnancy. There are certain times and certain situations in which procreative copulation would do that. So you should do something else. To maintain that intimacy, as St. Paul tells us to have, and I know somebody's going to go, oh, that's so bad. That's so gross. Why? Why is it? Why do you care that a man and his wife might enjoy that while she's pregnant? For that matter, why would it be considered onanism by Rome for them to do that if he already got her pregnant? Just thinking out loud. Because... We are allergic to this talk as a church. We should be the most pro-sexual institution on planet Earth, but instead we are one of two things. Our churches are either so uptight and so weird about this that if they were being honest, they would admit they wished sex did not exist, that there was no such thing as a man and his wife coming together in this physical fashion, or you get the libertine degenerate weirdo semi-Christian cults out there that want every Tom, Dick, and Harry to just let their freak flag fly and do all sorts of stuff the Bible tells you to not do. You know, things like fornication, homosexuality, shacking up, etc. and so forth. Oh, also adultery. Churches have a real hard time just choosing the middle path, neither going to the right nor the left on this one, and so we end up aping the bad habits of Gnostics. The Gnostics either told people, no, just abominate your flesh, never do anything with your flesh, don't get married, don't procreate, don't have children, nothing like that. You are supposed to rebel against the demiurge by never even imagining that sex would ever happen. Or they were like the Barbarites and other hedonistic Gnostic cults where sex was considered something sacramental. There was a weird sexual sacramentalism there. Our churches have taken one or the other and it shows. By the way, if a group or a church is pro-libertine, let your freak flag fly, hypersexuality, that is not pro-sex. It is certainly the case that the devil has used sexual temptation to try to destroy the church, usually with these twistings of sexual desires and natural human biological functions to do all sorts of destructive sinful things. But even though there are entire communities dedicated to this kind of degeneracy, they are not pro-sex. 
how do I mean? What do you mean, Pastor? Uh, what are you talking about? Pro-sex would be helping people have lots of sex. After all, marriage is the place where a lot of sex happens. They've run the numbers on this in various studies where a man and his wife who are happily married end up doing the deed more than everybody else. Those people engaged in sexual sin don't get it that often. Even if they do, it is a temporary arrangement. Young people who get passed around like town bicycles in their college years will find themselves having extremely difficult times getting married later on. There is such a thing as postmarital spinsterhood, as a great blogger named Dalrock spoke of, in which while the culture told all these women eat, pray, love, ditch your worthless husband and go partying, traveling around the world, it's always a temporary arrangement that will result in them not having a husband in their older years, which means little to no sex. If you want to be pro-sex, you need to be pro-marriage and family. And this includes the alphabet people who have a lower lifespan. And if you die in your 40s because of various diseases or joining a suicidal sexual cult, you're not going to have any sex when you're dead. Period. The church should be the most pro-sexual institution on earth. And we should be proud of it. We should be able to proclaim to the world and to all these worldly people, hey, we are out there getting people married, and in their marriages, they are having more sex more often. They are enjoying this gift from God, and they're even having children. It's wonderful. We should be out there trumpeting this from the rooftops as a pro-sex institution. Not pro-sexual sin, but pro-sex, certainly. Instead, because we have these problems in society where the devil tries to shiv the church over and over again using sexual means like adultery or fornication, etc. and so forth, we find ourselves reacting to it allergically like it's a bad thing or, alternatively, embracing sexual sin and thus putting ourselves under the judgment of God. That's dumb, especially because we are the right-hand kingdom. It is our job to proclaim the word to all people. And that means, at least part of being the right-hand kingdom, means attempting to correct the wrongs found in the culture at large. When that study came out showing that millennials and Zoomers are having far less sex at their current age than the baby boomer generation was having at their age, or the silent and greatest generations before them, especially given fertility rates, the church should have said, Wow, this is a bad thing. We need to help these young people get married and protect their marriages if we can. We need to start doing some social activities as a church and even arranging marriages if we have to, to get more people having more sex. Why not? What's wrong with saying that? Everybody listening here who's like, I can't believe my ears. 
No, the very first commandment given to human beings. Be fruitful and multiply. Make more of you. Go do it. And do it often. That's not bad. Oh, but that leads to another problem. The moment you start telling people that, you hear this. Oh, I'm not touching my husband. Are you telling me to do that? Isn't that, like, rape? Or you'll get guys saying... Yeah, but when I come home from work, I'm just so tired. By the way, could you help me out with my porn addiction? We really do have these issues with people who are already married, where we aren't willing to rebuke frigidity, or, alternatively, we hear, No, I'm not going to get married. Marriage is a scam. Don't you know what happened to my dad? The church hears these complaints and doesn't want to answer them because that is hard. We would have to rebuke some people for their obvious impenitent sin that we don't want to rebuke because then maybe they'll stop coming to church. Or alternatively, we'll have to give positive advice to get people off of the couch and going out seeking a mate. And maybe we'd even have to go help them get a spouse and Oh, we don't want to do that. We can't be helped to do that, right? The church has not wanted to put on the working gloves and get to work, making sure people are fruitful and multiplying and living according to the way God wants them to live. That's hard and that leads to some mean words being said to you. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the church did not have to deal with this problem because we had a healthy pro-sex culture in all sorts of places in Christendom where people just got married and did what they were supposed to do, leading to godly children and wonderful large families, the whole shebang. We don't do that now, though, because our culture became anti-sex while presenting as pro-sex, and we were not prepared to answer this. We were not ready to answer all the problems that the sexual revolution, quote-unquote, was going to bring into the forefront. And by the way, it should be called the anti-sexual revolution because it has led to my generation and the generation after having the least sex of all. Thank you, sexual revolution. Very cool. You've turned everybody into a bunch of shut-ins. And you have harmed their ability to go out, pair with one another, get married, and then have lots of sex. Seems to me like a very anti-sexual revolution indeed. But whatever, the church should answer these things. I, for one, intend to help answer these things. I want people getting married. I want to help them. If anybody wants to email very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com, I can see what I can do to assist you in finding a mate or helping out your marriage, whatever the case may be, because the church should say with a very, very loud voice, marriage and sex are good. They're great, actually. When together, marriage first, the holy covenant of marriage, and then lots of sex between the two married people from there. I don't know why people are acting like that's weird to say, and I don't know why the church has decided to go along with the culture in being anti-sex, whether it's from being frigid or degenerate, but the church should say something much better than it currently is. Anyway, that's it. Rant over. I'll catch y'all next week. Amen and amen.